Midday podcast, which is pretty exciting. Today we're going to cover a bunch of topics. We're going to talk some baseball, um, the Giants and Dodgers, like always. Um, some college football with UCLA's recent uh, win over Texas. Um, we're going to touch upon the opening of NBA training camps and a few other uh, news stories and a few hypotheticals, such as uh, the most dominant pitcher in baseball when healthy. Um, but first, let's start off with the Giants because they have a chance to clinch the division tonight with a win over the San Diego Padres. It's looking good, right? As long as they don't get swept, they're going exactly. to the playoffs. And even, clinched, even if they yeah. do get swept, I mean, they'll have a playoff, right? Right, Is exactly. That the scenario? Okay. That's, that's the current situation. So, um, one more giant win will, uh, will do it for the, for the NL West and then the Padres can try to fight it out and catch up to the Braves for that wild card spot. Now the Giants really have looked pretty darn good from a staff perspective over the past uh, 21 games. I think they've only allowed over th- three runs once. They have the third lowest uh, team ERA in a month since 1952 for any team in Major League Baseball. And um, basically the whole staff is cooking right now. Everyone's rolling. The bullpen's doing great. The starters are going deep into games, and that doesn't really look to change anytime soon. Um, so at this point, it looks like if the Giants can clinch the division, they will be battling the Reds in the first round, which should be an interesting matchup. But I, I actually really like it for the Giants a lot. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the pitching is definitely in favor of San Francisco, no matter who they face. I mean, other than, I mean, they're not going to face Philadelphia, but that would really be the only team that arguably has better pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, did you hear what Matt Leto said about the Giants the other day? I did, I did. Well, okay, if you haven't heard this, Matt Latos basically said he criticized the Giants for going out and getting a bunch of hitters during the season. And he said, I mean, if you look at our team, we only got two guys. But other than that, I mean, it's it's been the same lineup all year. And he's referring, of course, to Tejada and Ludwig. Whereas if you look at the Giants roster, they've basically remade their entire lineup from the start of the season. So, (laughs) Yeah, um, you know, I think that's... He's got a point, but that doesn't really mean anything because uh Yeah, as if there's any less nobility to like going out and getting free agents or trading trading people during the middle of the year, you know? It, exactly. The and point is to win. The, he forgets that the Giants GM is Brian Sabian, and so each of those moves was almost as likely to hurt us in the long run. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it is a completely different squad. I mean, the entire outfield is completely remade from the beginning of the season. Torres is obviously broken out. Um, Burl's out there, Guillen is out there, Ross is out there sometimes, Rowan probably, Rowan and Renteria probably won't even make the playoff, the postseason roster. Um, Which is really surprising, huh, considering all the money you guys are paying them. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they haven't performed at all, but I mean, good for Bochi and good for Sabian to finally realize that those two weren't pulling their weight, and Molina as well. So I think, you know, I, I'm actually, I've been okay with the Giants lineup ever since, uh, 
honestly, ever since Posey came up and uh, Burl Burl got in the lineup, you know, the the acquisitions of Fontenot and Gian and Ross were all, you know, they're all decent moves. I didn't, I don't think they're going to make or break the Giants, but basically, if the Giants can just string up enough, string up enough hits together and and one big fly, like one inning a game, that's kind of what they're banking on. Yeah, I mean, going into the playoffs, the lineup is pretty much set. It's going to be Gian and Adam Burl in the corner outfield spots with Torres in center, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, Huff at first, Freddie Sanchez if he's healthy at second. Is he healthy right now, or is he's, he still? Hurt? He's pretty banged up, but he'll try to grit it out. And if not, Fontenot is going to fill in for him. Exactly. And then Uribe at short. Mm-hmm. And I forget who's the third baseman. Pablo. Well, oh, that's right. I, of course, well, I would forget about Pablo because he's disappeared the entire season. Pablo Pablo actually <laughs> was in danger of losing his job entirely to Fontenot at third, but with Freddie Sanchez's recent injury, um, he's they basically out, huh? yeah he's been getting some extra at bats. He's played decently the last week, so he might luck himself into some more at bats. But um, that's where it currently stands. The interesting part is what the rotation will look like for the playoffs, and I think I think it's pretty obvious that you know. Barring any unforeseen event, the Giants should be able to make the playoffs, and it'll be Linscombe, Kane, and then it's really interesting. It could be Zito or Sanchez for the third spot. Um, yeah, most likely the other one will go to the fourth, and then uh, Bumgarner will come out of the pen. Most they've likely. they've set it up pretty well. Where is it? Kane going tonight? Kane's going tonight, Kane, and, and then you have Zito and Sanchez. Exactly, and you'd love to break up the. Oh, well, maybe not love. It'd be nice to break up the righties, but at the same time, Kane has just been so good. You just have to throw him out there. Yeah, and you know it's set up so nicely that if they do get swept and there's a one-game playoff, then Timmy is in line to pitch that game. Exactly. Yeah. And then if there is no playoff, then Timmy's then in line to pitch game one. So you know the the rotation really couldn't work out any better for the Giants right now. Absolutely, and I think uh, it's big that both Sanchez and. Uh, and Bumgarner are both guys who I feel like out of the pen would be much more effective than Zito. So I think Zito needs to have a rotation spot. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you, you feel like Zito is more comfortable starting. You know, he hasn't really come out of the bullpen, you know. Yeah, and he, he just doesn't really have the velocity. or I mean, his, his strength is more durable innings, whereas Sanchez, well, Sanchez won't go to the pen, but Bumgarner most likely will. And he has kind of the, the bigger upside, but the, you know, a little bit more volatility as well. So are you scared of the Reds at all? Uh, they're a good team. I mean, I I definitely would rather play the Reds than the Phillies. I mean, I think I'd rather play the Padres than the Reds. But um, they're, they're, they don't really frighten me because I don't feel like their pitching is that great. So I, I think the Giants should be – it'll be a good, good series, but I think the Giants should be able to win if they end up playing. Yeah, Joey Votto is frightening, but – Votto's scary, and Jay Bruce has got a lot of power, and Brandon you know, Phillips is solid, and Roland, yeah. Um, but yeah, Brown. like you said, I mean, they're pitching. You know, who are they got? Aaron Harang, Bronson Arroyo, and yeah, Johnny Cueto, Johnny Cueto. Yeah, well, Travis Wood's been pretty good. Actually, Homer Bailey's been pretty decent too. Really, um, Homer so Bailey. Are... Homer Bailey is my fantasy kryptonite. I, I feel like I, I draft him every year, hoping that he'll break out, and he disappoints me every he's year. He's finally he's finally started to turn the corner here. Um, he's been a little bit better, but I wouldn't say that he's he's not someone trustworthy yet. Do you so. realize how much Homer Bailey looks like Christian Bale? He does look a lot like Christian. It's Bale. really uncanny. If if you haven't seen Homer Bailey, go look up his picture. He looks exactly like Batman. It's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's that's very bizarre. I never even really thought about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I look out uh, for these things. You're you're on top of them. <laughs> uh, how about uh, your Dodgers with the uh, McCourt divorce? What's the update there? Well, they had closing arguments uh, yesterday, and so now the judge has 90 full days to decide on who gets to win this case. And in the meantime, Frank and Jamie's sides are going to talk, and they're going to try to mediate and work out a settlement. But if you know anything about Frank and Jamie, you know that there's absolutely zero chance that they're going to settle outside of court. So it's not looking good. You know, if if Jamie wins then the ownership situation is really unsettled and nobody knows what's going to happen, whether they're going to sell the team or or they're going to be able to work something out after that. But as it stands, you know, if, if Frank wins, which I feel like is the more likely scenario, then Dodger fans are in for many more years of Frank McCourt. And, you know, really the, the important thing to know is that Dodger fans lose either way because if Frank wins, we get many more years of Frank. If Jamie wins, then what Frank's going to do is just appeal, and this thing is going to get strung out in court for the next two to three years. And so, you know, no matter what happens, the payroll is going to go down, and we're not going to be competitive. So, I mean, I, there's really no upside to whatever happens here. It's really depressing. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I actually, well, I don't really care because I'm not a Dodger fan, but uh, I don't know. It just sounds terrible. I don't really. It's such an embarrassment. I mean, I'm so tired of it. I've completely stopped watching the team. They're really awful. I mean, you, I had, you know, forgotten about following their statistics until just a couple days ago. And then I looked at how each of the players are doing. And really, it's awful all the way around. You know, Matt Kemp is having a terrible year. James Loney is hitting like 260 something, which I didn't realize until I looked at it. You know, Andre Ethier, he hasn't been the same since he hurt his pinky and he's had, you know, a decent year, but you feel like he should be better based on the start that he had. And then Casey Blake has gotten old and, you know, it's, there's not really a lot to, you know, look forward to as far as next year goes other than Kershaw and Billingsley. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the uh, Dodgers bounce back next year. I think this year everyone pretty much disappointed up and down the lineup. So I don't know if those guys will suddenly find their focus and confidence and rebound or not. Yeah, unless something drastic happens over the offseason, next season I really only see myself watching every fifth day when Kershaw pitches. But, well, he he's a highlight, you know. You gotta, you never know what's gonna happen when Kershaw takes the hill. I mean, he yeah. could really, he could really do some crazy things. Other than that, it, it's hard to find interest in this team. It, Absolutely, it's really bad. <laughs> okay, well, on a surprising note, last weekend the UCLA Bruins managed to defeat Texas thirty-four to twelve in uh, a huge upset. Um, what was your take on the game, Steve? Did you I was, get a chance to watch the whole game? Or? Yeah, I, well, I watched the first half, and then the second half I had to leave to go to Beer Fest, so I wasn't able to watch that. But I was following it on my iPhone the entire time because I was just so in shock at what was happening. Mm-hmm. Completely unexpected. UCLA ran all over Texas, and really, you know, you're surprised that Texas had one of the top-ranked defenses in the nation, and yet they couldn't stop the running game of UCLA at all. I mean, UCLA finished with 27 passing yards and 34 points. 
<laughs> that's a pretty unbelievable statistic, by the yeah. way. That's that's just that's really tough to believe. Out of all 120 football bowl subdivision teams, UCLA is ranked 118th passing. <laughs> well, um, the pistol, which was so successful, is. I mean, it's not really designed to be a huge passing, you know, scheme, but obviously much more than passing the ball eight times in a game. Yeah. Um, I thought my take on the game was that it was the story of two halves, right? The first half, honestly, the UCLA got kind of lucky. I mean, Texas yeah, had a some lot of turnovers, turnovers, some boneheaded decisions, and to be perfectly frank, the the Bruins could have and should have been up by more than uh, what was it, thirteen three at halftime? Yeah, they had a lot of turnovers themselves. Yeah, I mean, it was really sloppy on both sides. They didn't really capitalize fully, and I think what was okay. Well, so that's the first half. The second half, obviously, the Bruins came out and dominated, and that's where they really made their mark because they ran the ball and they just crushed Texas, blew them off the ball. Now, my take on the game is that one, I don't think Texas was very good; that they're overrated. I mean, very they didn't overrated. look. Yeah. They haven't played well against other teams, so that it's a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, that being said. It's very impressive to go into an environment like Texas against a talented team and with a really young team to be able to just dominate them like that. Um, the I second was surprised. Thing is, I was surprised at the contingent of fans that UCLA had in the stands too. It looked like it was pretty sizable. Yeah, I think we actually traveled pretty well. For yeah, this we game. traveled very well. Yeah, um, which was pretty impressive. Uh, at the same time, that's only because we were winning, right? I mean, if we were yeah. losing, I <laughs> wouldn't know anything about who was there. Yeah, they wouldn't have showed that section of the seats at all. Exactly. Um, what I thought was really great, though, and I think that the Bruins got kind of lucky about this, was that, I mean, they obviously made it a huge emphasis to run the ball. And, like, that was, you know, the huge the f- the huge focal point of the game plan was to just, you know, run the ball, push the ball, run the ball. And uh, the Bruins got lucky because they didn't get down early. If they had gotten down, like, 14 nothing right off the bat, it would have been a lot harder to stick with the run the rest of the game. And I think that game could have spelled out of control. They got lucky that even though they weren't capitalizing, they were still in the game, still ahead, and that gave them the opportunity to keep running. Um, and I think that's what really, that's what really turned the game in the second half because that defense got tired. And uh, so props, props to Norm Chow and Rick Neuheisel for running, but also at the same time, a little bit lucky that they had the opportunity yeah. to stick when it was ineffective. Very first. lucky. I mean, you don't know if those circumstances can repeat themselves in future games. And so you really have to really work on getting the passing game going. Use play action. The only time that the passing game worked well was when they used play action at the goal line in the first half and threw that that one-yard touchdown out. To Marbury, yeah. Yeah, but other than that, there was really no instance of any sort of passing game whatsoever. And, you know, teams are going to be queued queued in on the run. They're going to stack the box with eight, nine guys from now on because they know that we're not a deep threat at all. Right. So... You know, going into Washington State, you know, sure, the, the spread is minus 27, but everybody pretty much knows what UCLA is about at this point. That we can't Washington, Washington State, I mean, it's not really a trap game. It's just like a letdown game. Yeah, I feel um, like 27 points is too much. Yeah, I don't think – I have a feeling this is going to be one of those games where UCLA wins – but not really convincingly, kind of like, you know, 35-21, where, like, you know, one of the touchdowns is off special teams, and it's a close game, and they just kind of end up, you know, putting up points at the end. Yeah, I feel uh, like we're going to have some defensive touchdowns in this one. You know, our, our offense, I, I don't have really very much confidence in them, despite well, what happens. I mean, 
not only that, but Kevin Prince has been out for much of this week um, yeah, with yeah. that knee problem. And I think that, I mean, I think the one thing that you can say about Prince is that, or there's two things. One, he gets hurt a lot, like abnormally a lot. Yeah. Secondly, when he is healthy and gets the chance to actually play and practice, he's decently effective. Um, but, you know, whenever he's out, the Bruin offense just completely struggles because he just he's just rusty, he can't hit his passes, and all of a sudden, you know, the whole the whole team's struggling. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some UCLA uh, offensive problems yeah. this week. Even Prince has been much better running the ball than he has been throwing it. I mean, he's been Absolutely. rushing about 10 times a game, and he's been pretty successful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I yeah, like I the think, pistol scheme. I, I think it's it's helped our run game vastly. But oh, absolutely. And I think I don't know if you watched the Nevada Cal game a few weeks ago, but that Nevada is how the crushed pistol, Cal, didn't it? Yeah, that's how the pistol is supposed to be running. They had um, Colin, what's his name, like Cabernacki or something. And God, that guy, he that that kid knew exactly what to do with the ball every single time, and he was unstoppable. I mean, he was throwing the ball really well. And the running game was just, you know, perfect because he was just he was just reading that run option, and just killing it with it. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what the goal is eventually for the Bruins to get to. And uh, well, maybe maybe we'll be successful against Caligan. It's the same same type of scheme. So. Yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Exactly. Next on our list is the NBA training camp season opening up. Which gives ESPN the excuse to show the Miami Heat 24/7, <laughs> um, and which I don't really give a crap about. But uh, what do you? What do you? What's your thought on this? I'm season? not sure if you've heard, Paul. Apparently, LeBron is serious and he's fiery in practice. Yeah, he's been very assertive. I think is the uh, is the main takeaway, right? Yeah. So you know, watch out for the Heat this season. LeBron is taking things seriously. You know, he has that list that he's been keeping track of of everyone who's been wronging him in the media. <laughs> so this is where you and I are going to differ. But I actually, I don't care for all the like hoopla around the about the, around the Heat. But I'm kind of, I'm one of the few people that's kind of rooting for the Heat because I just you just want the Lakers to lose. Is well, what. That, <laughs> that's, that's a large reason of it, but I've always I've always kind of liked LeBron, not really as a not as a person, and I don't even really like his style of play. But I just think he's like really really effective. Well, um, yeah, okay. He's, I'm, there's no I'm excited question, to see what happens, no basically. question. He's the best player in the NBA, but that doesn't mean he's not an arrogant narcissistic asshole. That's true. You know, who didn't have to give such a big middle finger to the whole city of Cleveland. You know, and. He, I don't know if you saw it, but he gave us an interview on CNN earlier this week. And him and Maverick Carter, you know, they they just wouldn't come out and admit that, yeah, it was a dumb thing to do and we're sorry. You know, Maverick Carter said you know, it, it could have been handled a little better. You know, that's as far as he would go to admitting what a terrible idea it was. And then when Soledad O'Brien, the interviewer, asked them if they thought it had anything to do with race – you know, the negative reaction and all, they said they thought it did, which, you know, I completely disagree with. I don't think it had anything to do with race. I think it had everything to do with them unnecessarily giving a middle finger to the city of Cleveland when they could have just, you know, let it slip through a press release or signed something quietly. They didn't have to go through that one-hour spectacle, and I think that's why people are upset at LeBron, not because he's black. Yeah, um, I think... I think it's impossible to know. Um, I think obviously it wasn't handled well. Obviously that's the main reason why. I just don't think you ever really know. I mean, I it's it's really hard to say what what is and what isn't. 
Right. But, Everyone has their own opinions, and you know there are some people that you know they'll take any excuse to bring try to bring down a black guy, you know, especially a successful one like LeBron. But I think for a vast majority of people, that had nothing to do with it. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's I don't know. Me. I don't. I would. I would have a better idea if I had lived in Cleveland before and knew the demographic and everything. But I, I think on a national level. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, there's. St- I mean, th- th- this is the thing about the Heat. There's so many good storylines with LeBron, and there's just so many things that just make them hateable. And I- I'm gonna love rooting against them every single game this year. I, I can't wait for s- NBA season to start. Yeah, I think uh, it'll definitely be exciting. I think that's that's the one thing I'm looking forward to. Is I just I think it'll be fun to watch, and uh, it'll make for some really exciting basketball. Like the the idea and concept of two of the top three players in the NBA playing together, just in general, like that's one of the most exciting elements to me. Um, yeah. Regardless you... of all the hoopla about, you know, who handled how, what, and whatever. Um, just from a basketball sense, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. It'll be a high level, you know, once we get to the finals, definitely. Yes, yes. Are you excited for the David Lee era? Um, you know, I'm... Uh... I'm excited for the new era of UC, of uh, of uh, I must have UCLA basketball of Golden State Warriors basketball. Are you excited that Nelly is finally out? I'm very excited that Nelly is gone. I I like Nelly a lot, but he's just not really meant to be coaching in the NBA at this point, or certainly not coaching my franchise. He's really been mailing it in the last couple of years. Absolutely, and that's that's just what bugs me. Is that he is a good coach. He's not an elite coach. He's not the coach that can win a championship for you because he plays zero places zero regard on defense but he's a fun coach and it's just annoying to see the last few seasons basically wasted because he just didn't give a crap but yeah i'm excited to see david lee with uh steph curry i mean uh i i, I think if monte and, and curry can somehow figure out how to play together this team could be really fun and if they can't then they're just going to be stuck as kind of a terrible team for a long time yeah monte kind of reminds me of jamal crawford where you know he's a good scorer, but he's really inefficient, and you know he can be a good player on a bad team, but you know if he was on a good team, he could be a really transcendent sixth man. But he just doesn't have the mentality to play winning basketball. It seems to yeah, me. Yeah, I would also say that I think in the right system, he can be a phenomenal player. I mean, he's actually as efficient of a as of a scorer as you'll see because he. He doesn't really shoot threes, and he just drives and takes. I mean, he, his field goal percentage is usually in the high 40s or even low 50s. But the difference for the Warriors is that they already have a 6'3 point guard who's not really a true point guard in Curry. And so to play Monte at a 6'3 off guard position just doesn't really fly at all. I think Monte's got to get traded. I think so too. I just don't think there's much of a market for him. I yeah. Mean, can't really get a whole lot for him. I'm actually excited to see. I, I actually have a feeling. It's kind of unfortunate that they traded for Lee because I'd be interested to see how Randolph would have played under Smart as opposed to Nelly. Um, I think that all of the big men like like Brendan Wright, if he's ever healthy, and uh, and Beadrins even will improve under Smart. I'm actually the other signing I'm really excited for. This is gonna sound weird to use. I really really like Louis Amundsen, uh, <laughs> and the Warriors just got him. And I'm like I'm actually really stoked because he's one of my favorite players to watch. Is Beadrinch healthy? Beadrinch is supposed to be healthy, yeah. Um, so you're gonna so have an all-white front court with him and Lee and Amundsen. <laughs> <huh? laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, all the bigs. <laughs> That's going to be great to watch. 
That will be, and then we have a, a Chinese point guard. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> Very multiracial. <laughs> yes, that's the Golden State Warriors for you right there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think, uh, the Warriors can challenge for a playoff berth if Monte can somehow integrate with Curry. That's all it, that's all it needs. Yeah. But odds are that won't happen and the Warriors will be like 13th. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's realistic, but I'd say, I'd say 35 wins is a realistic goal. Yeah, and you you make it sound like I'm supposed to be so happy about that. <laughs> I mean, that's almost 500, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's only six games, or well, I guess that would be what? Uh, yeah, 12 six. Games yeah, 12 games you, under, but you know, six games out of 500. Exactly. You know, that, uh, I think that goal is reachable. That's uh, definitely possible. Um, what about your Lakers? What do you see for them this? I season? mean, it's this pretty. It's basically the same old team. I mean, not a lot has come out of Lakers training camp so far. The only thing that happened is uh, Steve Blake sprained his ankle because Sasha Vujicic pushed him too hard on a drill. But <laughs> other than that, there's really no news. I mean, yeah, they added Steve Blake, they added Matt Barnes, they added Theo Ratliff. You know, not really earth-shaking acquisitions. So it should pretty much be the same team as it was last year. And they should be just as good. There's really no reason that they shouldn't win the West and get to the finals again. So, I mean, that's uh, if everyone can stay healthy, if Bynum can come back in time for the playoffs, which everything points to him being able to do so, I really don't see any bumps in the road for the Lakers. They should easily make the finals. Easily make the finals? Yeah, easily. Okay. Well, we have a long ways to go to the finals, and the finals... uh the playoffs in basketball just take way too long. Yeah, they do. Two months of playoffs. When they moved the first round from three out of five to four out of seven, that really boggled my mind. I Still, to this day, I don't understand why it has to last so long. Yeah, well, and what's annoying about it, about it is that like the schedule is just silly, where they'll, like, they'll, you'll get like three days off in a row sometimes. Yeah. Even if you're like not even traveling and stuff. Just to like maximize the TV potential. Yeah, it's and that almost just drags as bad. it out so much. It's almost as bad as baseball's playoffs, which I think is the worst. They have the the most amounts of inexplicable days off in baseball. Yeah. And then yeah, you know, it goes on till November, and then people wonder why it's forty degrees outside when you're playing a baseball game. But at least at least it's only a month, and there's only like four teams from each you know each league in there. Yeah. In basketball, basketball over half the teams make the playoffs. Yeah. Like, that's a joke. 16 yeah. out of 2019. <laughs> yeah. It's not even, that's not, doesn't take very much to make the playoffs. I think. Which is why it's so impressive that the Warriors and Clippers never make the playoffs. Yeah. I think, I think 8 out of 30 is, is plenty, you know, the way baseball does it. I yeah, that, I mean, I just, that I mean, like, something when you make the playoffs, you know? I, I agree, but at the same time, they've played 162 games and only 8 teams make it. Whereas, like, a sport like football, you know, 12 teams make it and they've only played 16 games. Yeah. It just feels like there's a lot of effort in there that never gets rewarded in baseball. Yeah, but that's the nature of the game. You that's know, how it is. You can't have too many teams in the playoffs, otherwise you're going to be playing in December. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, the next story I wanted to bring up was uh, Alberto Contador's recent positive test during the Tour de France, which he won this year. Um, for an illegal substance, you know, performance-enhancing drug of some sort. Um, and his explanation was that he ate a bad steak. A bad steak. <laughs> now, what's your thought on this, Steve? What, I think this ta- this is the best excuse for steroids that I've heard so far. It's better than Miguel Tejada's B12 shot. 
which <laughs> previously I think had taken the cake. So, you know, I'm proud of Contador for coming up with such a great excuse, a bad steak. Um, but am I surprised? Absolutely not. Every single person who wins in this sport seems to cheat. I mean, except for Lance Armstrong. But there's huge suspicion about Lance Armstrong. If you go to Europe, every single person in Europe thinks he cheated, even though he's never tested positive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, this doesn't surprise me at all. It seems like a vast majority of the cyclists in the Tour de France are on the juice. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, at least come up with a good excuse. I, I mean, I ate a bad steak. Is that really your <laughs> rationale for why you tested positive? That's so great that he like, thinks if, that he could get away with that, you know? <laughs> if, if you're going to, honestly, if you're going to say that as the reason why you tested positive, you might as well just say that you did them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I would rather just, I mean, first of all, I would rather come clean, I think, is what I've realized. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, if I was a cycler, and like, yeah, I'd won the Tour de France, and like, yeah, people thought I was great, and I tested positive, and I can't hide that. You know what? I think I would just tell them. I'd much rather tell them than try to, like, make up this terrible, terrible lie. I mean, that's just bullshit. So I think that's what I realized. (laughs) Uh, but he I took line to, to a new level. I mean, Bonds is, you know, Barry's always been like, oh, yeah, I didn't knowingly take anything. Uh-huh. Uh, he, like, left himself in pulls. This one just feels like the biggest blatant lie that I've ever heard, you know? Yeah. I mean, the the idea I think that he was going after is that there's so much steroids and hormones put in our meat and our food these days that it somehow infiltrated the cow and survived the cooking process. And so got you're trying to tell me that he was he was making a uh, almost like an FDA statement. Yeah, he was, he was making to, an organic champion, food. Yeah, he was making yes, an organic he's trying to champion a greater cause. Yeah, um, that's what he was trying, trying to make to a real do. difference. He's trying mm-hmm. to really protect the uh, the integrity of the meat products. Yeah. In the world. Not at all <laughs> trying to come up with some stupid ass excuse for his steroid use. <laughs> I mean, well, in that case, it's way to turn negative into a positive. Yeah. so good for <laughs> good for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a joke. Uh, okay, well then, uh, the next topic that I wanted to bring up for you is, uh, a topic that my buddy Nick proposed to me yesterday. And the question was, we, we've kind of had a similar talk about this before when we talked about, you know, which pitcher we'd rather have. But in this case, we're gonna say, given that they're on that day, so like, disregard, I guess, consistency, assume that they're at their best stuff. Which pitcher in baseball do you think is the most dominant? Like, who would you take? Of current pitchers, you mean, right? Of anyone, I mean, of anyone currently in baseball right, right. now. Right, so as of, like, right now, if I had to win a game for my life today, who would I take? Is that the question? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it, I'm going to let you say anyone who's, like, who's, uh, they can be injured right now, because uh-huh. I have one person in mind, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they can be injured, but basically just assume that they're at their peak, you know, health and that they have their best stuff that day. I would probably take Roy Halladay. You're taking Doc, huh? Yeah, because you know who else has dominated both leagues in a way that he has. You know, he's come over. He he dominated the AL East, the most difficult division in all of baseball. And then he comes over to Philly, and he's even better. And you know nobody's seen him pitch in the playoffs yet, so we don't know what kind of legacy he can build. But I think he's the best pitcher in the game right now. So I, w- I would take him to win one game if I had to. Okay. Well, so I think I think Doc is the best pitcher in the game. I think he's the most consistent pitcher in the game. 
I don't think he's the most dominant pitcher in the game. I think that he doesn't really strike out. I mean, he strikes out a lot of guys, but not, you know, an elite amount. Um, right. I, if I have to take one guy, I'm taking Strasburg. And, uh, <laughs> because to me, it's all about, it's all about strikeouts. It's all about just like dominant stuff. And I don't think, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he has the best stuff in baseball. And I mean, his strikeout rates are just absurd. I mean, Tim Lincecum has been the best strikeout pitcher in baseball for the last three years, and he's consistently averaged about like nine to ten for every nine innings. Well, Strasburg was at like twelve point two five this year, and also only walks like a little over two. Yeah, but uh, you know the thing about him with with me, um, I feel like he's only really had twelve starts, and you know he hasn't had that also important second round of the league. When that's people true. Have seen him and they. Yeah kind of gotten the time to you know scout him and figure him out a little bit so i don't think we really know how his long-term success is going to be until he comes back from tommy john surgery in what 2012 you know that's that's a fair point that's actually the best argument against him as far as pure stuff you're right you know he's got probably the best stuff i have ever seen but you know other than pedro back at the turn of the century right but you know, I just feel like, yeah, we haven't seen enough of him to be able. I mean, I, at least for me, I haven't seen enough of him for me to feel supremely confident in him to win one yeah. game if I had to. Yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, I would say that Strasburg's peak is higher than Holiday's peak. Yeah. Which is weird to I, say for a guy who's thrown, you know, <laughs> 60 <laughs> innings. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I think whenever, when you've seen Strasburg beyond, he is just absolutely filthy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, Doc's a great choice. Other, other top choices I would have had would have been Lincecum, King Felix. Felix, Felix, Felix yeah. would be a really good example. Doc, obviously. Uh, even Verlander, when he's on, is just, I mean, he, he's pretty dominant. Lester, even at that point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's, there's some good options out there right now. What about all time? Ooh, all time. I, Cause I, I, you know, for me, it would be a toss up between Sandy Koufax in the mid 60s and Pedro Martinez in the year like 2000 turn of the century. Those yeah, gosh, I mean Pedro is the most dominant pitcher I've ever seen, like personally. Yeah. But you know, hearing stories from writers and whatnot, they say you know Sandy Koufax was the most dominant pitcher ever of any era. So yeah, I mean it's it's tough for me. I've but it's never, tough when you don't see them, you know, yeah, up you, close to yourself. You don't know how to put them in context with the era, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'd have to go with Pedro just because I feel like he's been, I mean, when he was in that, those early 2000 years, God, he was just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, even Randy Johnson would probably be like yeah. the second guy out of, out of all the guys that I've seen since we've been alive. In 2001, Randy, Randy Johnson, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He was absolutely dominant in that you year. You just don't want to, you just don't want to face him when he, I mean, when he's got everything going, he just, he's just untouchable. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good that's a good follow up question there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the last uh, major topic we were going to discuss was uh, the greatness of the sports cliche, and uh, I think anyone who's ever watched any sports, especially the post game interviews, I mean, any of us could really be an athlete, or at least give an athlete interview because it's really not too difficult. Yeah, you so, say there's about a list of about twenty something or so things that you just repeat over and over again. Wait, so do you want to do like a mock session here? Do you want me to, to interview you or you interview me? Okay. Yeah. How about, yeah, interview me. Yeah, ask okay. me uh, any question. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So, Steve, you, you guys, uh, you really came back strong there in the fourth quarter. You guys managed to put a bunch of points up on the board. Do you mind uh, telling me what, what the process of, of how that happened was? Yeah, well, you know, we played hard. We went out there and we executed. You know, we, we did what we had to do. It was a battle. You know, we come out here, we're, we go into a hostile environment, and we just do what we got to do. Good. Uh, what about next week? You guys have a really big game against uh, against the Clippers next week. Uh, how are you gonna How are you gonna handle it? Well, you know, I, I, first of all, uh, uh, let me say that you know I, I'm glad that we could come out of here with a W, obviously. And so, you know, obviously next week when we go face the Clippers, so hopefully we can come out of there with a W as well. You know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be another hostile environment. They're hurting for wins, so you know they're going to give us the best. They, they're going to give us. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. <laughs> but yeah, they're gonna they're gonna give us their best shot. So we gotta we gotta bring our A game. We gotta make sure we don't take them lightly. But you know, it's a long season. You gotta take it one game at a time. You can't get too high or too low. So you gotta approach it one game at a time. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> All right, thanks for your time, Steve. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was You're pretty well, good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I like uh, my favorite ones are just like. My favorite ones are the execute. I always love the execute thing. Um, Execute's always good, yeah. I, I I love when they say like you just got to make plays. Like playmaker, you got to make plays. You know, you got to make. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, cool. <laughs> uh, I've got a list here of a bunch of ones that I like. You know, the first one on the list is obviously. You know, I'm not sure if you noticed, but. I've never noticed. Well, noticed listen for it from now on because it's really prevalent. In most sports interviews these days, they'll say obviously a lot. You know, and they'll say like, you know, you know, obviously he's a great pitcher, you know, or, or obviously, you know, they're, they're coming in here, you know, one for a win, or, or obviously this, obviously that. Well, you know what? If it's so obvious, then why are you bothering to say it? <laughs> you know, but yeah, uh, look for that from now on because you'll start noticing it if you look for it because it's there and they say it a lot. Another one that I like is at the end of the day. You know, they they say that a lot. At the end of the day, you just got to go out there and, and execute. <laughs> yes, definitely. That's a good one. Um, I like, um, don't try to do too much. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Where, you, you know, you get you get a good pitch. You know, don't try to hit home runs. You know, you're just trying to get a bat on the ball, get a good pitch to hit. You know. Yep. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> the, the hitters have a lot of them. You know, hitters. They say, you know, that was a good piece of hitting. Let, let's say the pitcher throws an outside pitch and he reaches out and plunks it into the opposite field. The announcers most always say that's a good piece of hitting by whoever. You know, and I always wondered why is it a piece of hitting? You know, why 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 don't they say that's a good job of hitting or that that's you know that's a good hit by whoever? Why do they? Why is it always a good piece? I, I never understood that. That's a good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> um. Yeah, keep going. You, you've got um, a good list here, Steve. Yeah, one game at a time is always a good one. You know, this this goes one game at a time, and it's a long season, and 162 games, and you know, don't get too high, too low. Those are all kind of interrelated. Those are all of the same family, where you know they're talking about the grind of the season, and mm-hmm. so those are always fun. One game at a time. Um, yes. I, I I like the war metaphors. You know, it's going to be a battle. We're going to go out there, you know, my soldiers. You know, Kevin Dur- Kevin Gar- Garnett is famous for a few years ago taking this too far. Well, <laughs> honestly, though, Kevin Garnett does treat it like a war. I yeah. Mean, he does. <laughs> if you look at his to be face. fair, that guy is crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, I love it when they say, 
oh, it's going to be a battle out there. We're going to, we're going to fight, you know, talking about it as if it's an actual physical confrontation where people are going to die. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, pitchers have a lot of good ones too. They say, I, I, you know, I made good pitches when I had to. I mean, you know, making good pitches is, is a good one. Um, I was aggressive and went right after the hitters. Mm-hmm. I like it when they go right after him. I like, you know, he challenged this guy. You know, don't try to nibble around the edges. You just <laughs> got to challenge him. You know, I like that. Um, hostile environment, I think, is a classic. Yes. They can never find another phrase to say for going. Is it a hostile? You mean? It seems to always be a hostile environment, huh? It's never. It's going to be, you know, a loud building. <laughs> or you know, there's going to be a lot of booze, you know. We're, it's well, to- these just don't sound nearly as uh, interesting, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but uh, you'd think that someone would have come up with some kind of substitute for hostile environment. <laughs> literally, that's the only word or phrase that they use to describe playing road games in the playoffs. It's always a hostile environment. So just for some kind of vocabulary variety, I would like them to come up with something different. But we'll see. I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, Yeah, and the number one classic sports cliche on my list is 110%. I think that's the best one ever invented. As if you could possibly give more than 100%. Some people say it's like 150%. Yeah, I've heard that one before. And I never understood it because (laughs) 100% mathematically is the most that you can possibly give. And they're trying to say that their level of effort goes beyond that, which, <laughs> you know, talk about hyperbole. I, I, it's not just, it's mathematically impossible. So <laughs> from a nerd standpoint, that one always was kind of funny to me. But yeah, I think that's the all-time classic, giving 110%. 110%. Yeah, that's a that's one of the ones which is, Really, just overused. It, it's all all the time, every sport, any application. It's applicable everywhere. So. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I think uh, we can easily, with these handy tips, uh, any any common fan can give a, a quality sports interview uh, at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, do you remember in Bull Durham the scene where Kevin Costner is teaching Tim Robbins all his cliches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's what always comes to mind whenever they have these sideline interviews. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, well, um, to wrap up the week, why don't we move to our Mary Boff Kills. So I will go first. Um, I actually came up with these three last week when we were recording with Tommy. And right. uh, the three that I had were the Friends girls, so uh, Lisa Kudrow, Jennifer Aniston, and Courtney Cox. And we'll go with their real, like, in real life, not their Friends characters. Right. Okay. Um, I think uh, this one is pretty easy for me. I'm going to marry Courtney Cox, fuck Jennifer Aniston, and kill Lisa Kudrow. And I'm going to do this because... I think it's pretty obvious that Lisa Kudrow, while, you know, she's lovely, she's the least attractive of the three, and so she has to be killed. Um, as far as the other two, I think Jennifer Aniston is not marryable 
because of, you know, what has conspired in her real life where, you know, she's had a marriage with Brad Pitt and it's completely fallen apart. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that she didn't want kids and, you know, that kind of pushed Brad Pitt in the direction of Angelina Jolie. You know, so we, you know, we don't know exactly what happened there, but it seems like Jennifer Aniston, there's a reason so you're that, just saying that she's damaged goods, basically. Yeah, I mean, well, there's a reason that she hasn't been able to settle down and find a husband at this point in her life. It's, you know, there must be something wrong with her, you know, other than the film, because she, she's obviously very attractive. And so you wonder why she hasn't been able to settle down. And so I, I think I would fuck her and not marry her, and I would marry Courtney Cox, because she seems, I mean, she's recently a mom, and... She's had a relatively stable marriage with David Arquette for a long time, and I feel like you know part of this goes to her Monica character, where her Monica character was very much you know wanting to be a mom and wanting to be a wife and you know wanting to settle down, and so so in reality we're just going back to our friends' characters. Well, it's hard. I mean, with these actresses and really with everyone on Friends, it's hard to see them as anything but these characters because really. <laughs> they've, they've been typecast where, you know, if you see, let's say you saw Matt LeBlanc in the street, would you say, oh, yeah, would you think sure. that's Matt LeBlanc or would you think, oh, hey, that's Joey? You would think that's Joey, right? The, those characters are so iconic and I think that, you know, it's, it's tough to see any of these people as anything but their friends' characters. But, you know, we know a lot about these actresses' personal lives and, so I think we can make a pretty good assumption based on that. Okay. Somewhat sadly, I have the exact same three as you, which I guess <laughs> isn't really that unexpected, given the three that are uh, the three options that there are. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, it's it's kind of yeah, it's a little bit uh, disheartening to have this the exact same, but the rationale, unfortunately, is pretty much the same as well because I think that you know it's a. Uh, it's pretty obvious that Lisa Kudrow is the least attractive, that Monica, or I guess Courtney Cox, is the she's most kind of feisty, yeah. but she'd make a good Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Jennifer Aniston is really, really attractive. So, uh, yeah, I don't have anything to add after what you said. <laughs> good job explaining. <laughs> All right, well, you want to move on to mine then? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, in celebration of the beginning of NBA training camp, we are going with... The WAGs, which, if you don't know the term WAG, stand for wives and girlfriends, of crappy European basketball players. And why did I choose crappy European basketball players? It's because Sasha Vujicic came out with his own line of jeans this week. He signed a deal with a fashion company to produce a line of jeans called SV18. (laughs) And they're going to be jeans that fit big and tall men. Because Sasha, being a big guy, he's like 6'6", he said he couldn't find a pair of jeans that fit him in, you know, a nice tight European way that those European guys like. You know, they couldn't find sizes in, you know, as big as he is. So he's come out with a line of jeans for big, tall, skinny European guys, basically. And so we're going to go with the wags of crappy European basketball players, and we're going to start off with Maria Sharapova, who is Sasha Vujicic's girlfriend. Um, we'll also do Adriana Lima, who is Marco Yarich's wife, and 
Aleka Kamila, which she's not as famous as the other two, but she's just as hot. She's Peja Stojakovic's wife. So have at it, Paul. Um, I did not know who Aleka Kamila is, but she's she's pretty attractive. Uh, I think I'm not. I've never been a Maria Sharapova fan. I've always thought she's been really overrated, both looks wise and contest wise. Um, so I'm actually going to dump her first, and hmm. then uh, I think I will. I mean, Adriana Lima is gorgeous, but I she's also isn't she like really annoying and dumb? I have no idea. <laughs> I felt like she was. Wasn't she on like a TV show? Oh, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I don't think I've ever heard her speak. So, <laughs> am I thinking of someone else? I thought she was on like a reality show, and after watching that reality show, I was like, this woman is just the dumbest person ever. I think I'm thinking of someone else. Okay, well, I'll marry Adriana Lima then, and I'll just, uh, I guess I'll just fuck the other one, whatever her name is, Alaka Kamila. <laughs> Mrs. Stoyakovich. Yeah, Peja. Sorry, Peja. Yeah, honestly, I I didn't know who she was before either. I was looking for a third. You were basically just trying to find an Eastern. Yeah, I had two. I needed three. So I looked at other hot European wives and she she made the cut for me. She didn't get chucked at least. Yeah, well, she's very attractive. She's she's really hot. So, yeah, I think I'd fuck her and marry Adriana Lima and toss Maria Sharapova. And, you know, like you said, I think, yeah, Maria Sharapova, she's attractive, but she's the least attractive out of these three, I would say. You also get the a vibe from her that she's kind of annoying and full of herself. So I would get rid of her. I would fuck uh, Mrs. Stoyakovich because I really don't know much about her other than she's really hot. And I think I'd marry Adriana Lima. Okay. Wow, we agreed on both. This was a very boring... Uh I know. Huh? I think from I think from now on we have to do, you know, one of us should do a hot chicks one and one of us should do an ugly chicks one or like guys or like some some perverted twist on the Mary Buff kill. Okay. To keep well, uh, let's let's do. We'll plan that for next week then. And if you have good Mary Buff kills to suggest, you can email us at bnquo at gmail dot com. Have we ever so, gotten an email? I've never actually looked. Oh, we've get we get plenty of emails from you know both of our listeners. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. So basically, so, they just spam the crap out of us. Yeah, yeah. Send them in. Send them in if you have any good suggestions. Okie doke. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us this week. But uh, tune in next week for another new episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. This show is terrible, and I'm really happy.